All right. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the Babybacks Banter Podcast. I'm Mike McDermott, and I cover the prospects at Inside the Diamondbacks publication. Well, I should say the publication you can find on... Uh, And uh, Wes will be joining in a little bit while it works out a couple things. But uh, we're going to be covering some of the recent prospect news for the Diamondbacks in the past month or so, as well as some other around-the-world topics. So if anyone wants to ask any questions before we start on the podcast, you can right now. Assuming it's not on the topic of the broadcast itself. Some sort of the main topics we'll delve into. We'll delve into the uh, this year's World Baseball Classic, Corbin Carroll's extension, as well as an update on the rotation bullpen, which prospects are still in the mix for. Uh, Opening day roster spot, as well as some mock drafts. We all love mock drafts. We're talking about those today. I know these are some of the topics that have been redundant to past episodes, but obviously there's been an update in regards to roster moves and a little bit more data, a little bit more games to uh, I was so confused when I looked up his kid. Wait a little bit. Like I said, Wes is setting up right now. Take care of the So we'll just be working things out a little bit. Like I said, we're going to be covering all those topics I just mentioned. So like I said, if anyone has any questions to talk about, I guess some of the topics that stuff that isn't on, t- on the topics we're discussing today, I can answer them right now. Just uh, it's a bit of a we're just playing the winning game at this point.
All right, so just a little bit of an update, obviously. We're just going to be uh, setting up in just a little bit. Wes is, Wes is here. He's just working on fixing a couple technical issues. And then we'll be ready to start. Yeah, I'll be back in one minute. I'm not even sure. So, yeah. So while we're waiting, make sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a like on the video. We'll like, we'll get into and then we'll delve into everyone's favorite topics in a short while. Like I said, uh, support is greatly appreciated every step of the way. We're kind of just recapping, obviously, if you want to check out the last episode, we were talking about guys in the minor league system to pay attention to past the. Major League level, the guys that were going to be on the opening day roster, obviously. So if you wanted to check that out, obviously. I think I have the uh, videos for double A and triple A up there. All right. And we're live. I'm live. Do. Now you're live. Anyway, good evening, Wes. How have you been today? Uh, why is it doing that still? I'm not hearing anything. All right. I'll try and get this uh, sorted out quickly. All right, so we'll make sure this is making sure that uh, everything's right first before we start. Actually, I should probably do it this wrong. All right. Try and get this out of the way. So anyways, yeah. If there's any questions you got to think of, it's a good time to think about those questions. Maybe comment when we get into each topic, kind of. Comment into each topic, and then depending on what's said, we can we could possibly drop the answer. Kind of address address it, answer question any questions in regards to the opening day roster and whatnot. Just waiting to make sure everything is good to go. Okay, I got some using my Bluetooth headset. Gonna have to deal with that. I can hear you much better on this. No delay or anything. Everything good? Yeah, this is like I thought I'm using my Bluetooth headset. 
take one, take the ones I got back. There we go. All right. So now we are going to begin. We're going to begin today's episode. Obviously, we're going to talk about the uh, the topic that everyone's talking been talking about in the past week in the World Baseball Classic. You have any? You want to have any? Open up with any thoughts that you had on the World Baseball Classic and what impact it's had for baseball this year. Yeah, your microphone, there's nothing coming out on your microphone end. At least I don't think it is. Is it, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, that's what it was. All right. Um, I was saying uh, the Japanese team has been like the most unbelievable team in terms of like their pitching talent. I think, you know, obviously there's Shohei Itani, has done a ton to grow the game um, going from 4 million followers to 8 million followers, basically overnight on Instagram. Um, Roki Sasaki's talent, my God, his raw numbers on StatCast are unbelievable. And the amount of hundred miles per hour he throws on a regular basis is insane. I think he's instantly made himself the number one pitching prospect outside of uh, pretty much that's like unsigned right now. I mean, it's really, he, I, I, I can't really say more than that. Like that was my, my initial impression is that pitching has been unbelievable. Um, Jacob Steinmetz is, I think is a great story that's relates to the Diamondbacks. I had not seen him pitch. He's got good stuff. He seemed very poised on the mound considering like age versus uh, his opposition's age. Like he really seems like he could work out to be like, you know, he's moved up the ranks in the prospect rankings, at least for me. Yeah. I think, I could see Steinmetz developing into a back end guy, given his height, and yeah, fastball yeah. spin, curveball spin. Could be a back end guy, I think. Probably, I'm not sold he's, on starter, but back end guy for sure. He's still really young, so I mean, I think he does have room to grow. Just looking, he's very lanky, um, but like he's he seems like much more of a talent to that's you know outside of his story of being like the first Orthodox uh, Jewish pitcher or baseball player. I think it's it's both. Um, he clearly has talent and that's, that's good to, good to see. I, I was an interesting roll of the dice by the Diamondbacks to, to draft him. And uh, I'm definitely be taking note of him after this uh, world baseball classic. Yeah, definitely thrown into the fire against the Dominican Republic and held his own. Yeah, that's, that's impressive. I think the only more impressive one was the, the electrician who threw out Shohei Otani for, for the Czech Republic or yeah, Czechia, I think, is what the actual official name of the country is, but uh, the Czech team. Uh, it's really cool to see that. Like, none of them are professionals. They're all – are there any – were there any professionals on their team? Yeah, oh. the Dimebacks signed – one of their pitchers is in the Dimebacks organization. Who is that? I forget. We can look that up. Yeah, I remember the Dimebacks look, signing I, I a Czech pitcher that. that could hit upper 90s. Oh, Wow. Yeah, no, that's they were very impressive. Just like the fact that they like are that they held their own. I mean, that's certainly. I'm not going to get the. 
pronunciation, but I'm just gonna. But yeah, Throw but yeah, the Diamondbacks do have somebody from there. I'll put the link in the oh, chat. If I can... Yeah, I'll put it in the chat. Yeah, they do. Ha- one of the pitchers is in the Diamondbacks put... organization. And I can attempt to pronounce his name. Mm. Well, first name is not going to be difficult. Uh, uh, v- or v- uh, I think it's Vacheka or Vacherka. Or could be, uh, yeah, I think it's Vercheka. I could be 19 wrong, year old like pitcher. This thing is 19 throws up. That's uh, let's see, it's not see that signing old. If he's playing for the baseball classic, that's shame on me. <laughs> Well, that's what I just looked at the pronunciation. That's what it told me. Boris Vacherka. Okay. So, yeah, and then also some Dimebacks in the World Baseball Classic. Include Alec Thomas, who's playing for Team Mexico, that finished in the semifinals. Merrill Kelly, who started the championship game for Team USA. And uh, Manuel Rivera, Manuel Rivera started at third base for Team Puerto Rico, that made it into the uh, final eight. Yeah, I think that there was a nice showing from him. I think he he did enough to to kind of assure us that he'll you know be like at least be, like you know be a, a, at least an average player this season. I'm much yeah, more like, although, confident having seen him play. I totally forgot about him. Yeah, I was going to say the team definitely Rivera's definitely a depth guy at this point because there's no there's not a current path to the roster right now with Longoria at third. There was the, I thought the there was possibly the idea of maybe he's the backup first baseman because he offers a little bit more defensive versatility than the, some of the other infielders on the roster, but uh, watching him against Chicago on Yesterday, it wasn't so good defensively. Yeah, and unfortunately, I have not been able to catch any of the, the like spring training games live. I've only been able to watch clips. So um, he's looked good. Like, he, I don't know. He seems like he's I – I, I, I don't really see him at playing first base. There's better options. Like, I, I, you're better off having Pavin on the ro- roster if you need a backup first baseman. Thank you. I think they're exploring the idea of playing of getting Gurriel some reps at first base as well because Kyle Lewis has basically forced their hand with the roster decision. He's just clubbing the ball. I'm impressed. I I think that that trade may actually work out for both sides. Like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Cooper 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 Hummel is actually having a pretty decent. Yeah, he's having a pretty decent spring. So I mean, I saw that and I was like, oh, that might be. Uh, we might regret that trade. Uh, Lewis so far, I think has read our comments and, uh, all the talk on Twitter that we've had about him and his motivation to, to, to keep his job. I would say Lewis was considered a top 10 pick, not for speed. It was all around player. Just yeah, the only thing that's missing I mean, is the speed now. And healthy knees. <laughs> that's yeah. the thing. Like I really, like I, he has, there's been no doubt about like he can hit, he just can't stay healthy. And it's, uh, like he's like he's lost what like a season and a half due to injury. Yeah, and 
he had an ACL injury in his right knee twice. Oh lord! He went from an above-average runner to basically bottom. Yeah, he does. That does not inspire confidence in terms of his health this year. But I mean, he can hit if he can hit and like stay healthy as a DH and like I mean, I suppose like. I just don't see him on the field with like his mobility now. There's no re- there's no need to put him on the field is the thing. Yeah. The way the roster is constructed in the outfield, you don't really need to put him on the field because you're always going to have at least one of Carol Thomas or McCarthy on the field playing center. Yeah. Although, yeah. But mean, the way I the roster is constructed, nice you're probably going to have at least two of them. Yeah, that make that makes sense. I I like the idea of a dedicated DH, not necessarily does using the DH as a way to rotate, rotate out, you know, people off the field, because I don't think that's necessarily uh, the best way to keep everyone defensively able and productive. I think having, you know, like I, I and also that's a, it's a waste of roster spot in, in some senses because take away like a, like David Ortiz or Edgar Martinez and replace him with some other guy. And I, uh, it's not, it's like not nearly as productive. I mean, I haven't looked at like the math on that, but at least that's what my, my, my common sense tells me. Well, my common rebuttal to be is how many hitters on this roster can put up David Ortiz numbers three, maybe three, talking about maybe three players. You're looking at Carol Walker, maybe actually, I don't know about Walker, but possible Walker could possibly put up those numbers. Then third player, it would be. Actually, maybe not. Just those two. And both are so good in the field. I wouldn't even necessarily. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, anyone who's a capable hitter on the roster, like, you want them on the field. Like, Corbin Carroll is an amazing uh, outfielder. Like, pretty much everyone, like, that you DH, they're they're not the traditional, you know, no-glove DH on, on this roster necessarily. Like, I couldn't tell you right off. Maybe may, I guess Lewis would be really the only one. And that's only like, just, just as he lacks the ability about, to stay in the outfield. Talking about a guy that's going to get 300 plate appearances with Lewis, most likely too, because uh, he's going to be, he's the fifth outfielder behind Carol Thomas, McCarthy and Guriel. Kind of yeah. situation. Um, um, But you're probably looking at five to ten games where Walker's not in the lineup at all. So those are five to ten games that Lewis is going to play for sure. Assuming everyone stays healthy. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, Christian Walker, though, he, he I mean, well, a lot of his value came last year was putting him on the field, too. You know, so like, I guess, yeah, it, it'd be nice to keep some play like, you know, use that as a regular, you know, couple times a week, a guy a day off, you know, and have Lewis maybe, you know, play four out, you know, three out of seven games of a week would seem to be like a realistic expectation in terms of like the amount of time that he's actually playing. Yeah. He'll be in the lineup for at least 50 starts because that's how many times they'll face a lefty in a given year, 50 to 55. So you, okay. Yeah. That, that, that definitely makes sense. Like he's so definitely in the be, lineup when that happens against that matchup. So, so a third, a third of games would work out. Uh, basically, yeah, two or three days a week, he'll he'll be in the lineup. Yeah, and then in a situation where they also want to give a situation where Walker's out of the lineup as well would be a game that Lewis starts because Lewis would be your DH and Guriel moves over the first base. You play your three fast outfielders in that game. 
Because most likely Walker's going to get rest yeah, against a de- right-handed starter. Yeah, that, that definitely would make sense. Um, so we're, we're the bullpen position. Uh, I do you think like Lewis will probably make the 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 roster over Paven, or do you think Paven is going to be like who's going to make it? Well, if you read the tea leaves, the fact that they're even considering the idea of Guriel taking reps at first base is pretty good news for Kyle Lewis, obviously. Now, Smith's yeah, pretty of that. So. Between the two, uh, Smith, even though he's slow-footed, has c- catches is pretty consistent at catching the balls within his range. The only problem is he's a slow-footed yeah, outfielder that's playing in a big ballpark. Yeah, he's not. He's not. If he was playing at Yankee uh, Stadium, he'd be fine. Passes guy. Oh yeah, he's playing right field at Yankee Stadium. You know, he's fine. Or the Red Sox yeah, there's, there's places Red, where Red Sox he fit, not, not in Chase, not when you're in Colorado regularly. Like, it makes no sense. Yeah, Colorado would be absolutely terrible. That would be a disaster. My God. But, uh, yeah, and also I yeah, think I, it's I, because Lewis has a little bit more upside with the bat since they're both going to get somewhere between 300, 400 plate appearances on the roster if they're healthy all year. So maybe yeah, I don't li- know if I would give Paven that many – that many extra app. I mean, it's the main thing is like, is his defensive value is not greater than, than Lou, like the, the additional gains you'd have from Lewis's at bat, like Lewis's bat. So um, yeah. it seems talk- like that, that makes sense. Well, we're talking probably five runs of defense. If you're comparing over the amount of opportunities the two players are going to get, but then Lewis might just make it up with the bat himself because Paven Smith, when he's going good, is very good at spraying the ball around the yard. Very good runner and scoring position hitter, I would say, against a right-handed pitcher. Whereas Lewis again has that power potential. Obviously, he's if he takes what he did this spring into the season, it's going to be a tough. He's going to be a tough out. He's, oh, yeah. obviously, we're not I, expecting yeah, a hard I hit agree. rate to I mean, sustain. I, 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 he's certainly shown me that I won. like. I didn't think that we would uh, see that productive of a spring. It was really a question to me if he was, you know, really healthy enough. And I think. Still a question if he'll he'll have a fully healthy year if they if they utilize him correctly, I could see it. Um, but he's yeah he's definitely forced Diamondbacks hand like I I didn't I'm kind of been done with Paven Smith since like, before he was even called up so I, I just I mean, don't think he's, he's that good of a player. The issue with Smith is not is more so that he's good at one or two things but he's very good at him kind of thing he's. Good at making con good at making contact when he has the platoon advantage and he'll ca- he'll make the plays he's supposed to, but he won't do more than that. Yeah, I, I think there's a part of with Paven is that like he if he just had a little better power or could hit for a like higher out, like one or the other, if he had, he had just, to hit like, like three twenty a little bit better of yeah, if he had a better batting average and he could you know had made more contact and like there's a little bit faster. He's just like just short of being like a great all around, like great player, but he's just lacking in those areas enough that he's just not, he's, he's a disappointment. And if he ever hears this, I'm sorry, but you know, I, I'm, he's he heard really this. For years. It's something he's probably heard for years. There's probably, if there was one, he was probably one oh, tool yeah, short of being I'm an sure. everyday player for sure. And if you improved one tool, one of yeah, one of I, his, yeah. Tools by five point five if by half a grade, you're probably looking at an everyday outfielder. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the real thing when he was drafted was like the but like that. Hopefully, he would like develop more power uh, or some like yeah, swing adjustments 
would give him some more power. Or, it did. And, it never. Or he it never really you know, materialized. Like the slight adjustments would hopefully. It never turned out. Didn't materialize. Absolutely, Michael. I. Uh, it makes me sad because I. I don't know. He was kind of a reach in the first place. That's a horrible. That was, was a terrible. Say, it works for. It Marshall. works for Corbin Carroll. It might not work for everyone else. And we're going to seg right into the. Yeah. Speaking of Corbin Carroll, this month signed an eight-year, one hundred million dollar extension. Although realistically, this is probably a nine-year, one hundred thirty-four million dollar extension because. $23 million for a free agent year seems like a good deal for Carroll, but we'll talk about the extension first and not an option. So what do you think? Of, so what do you think of this extension? Good I, or bad? I, I like it. I mean, worst case. Okay. So I don't think that there's like pretty much no one thinks Corbin Carroll is a bust. The only way this contract is really going to work out poorly for the Diamondbacks, in my opinion, is he, if he can't stay healthy. That's pretty much it. Like he's an, he's obviously talented. He's obviously motivated. You see the amount of effort that he applies to everything, like running all out in spring training. Like he, you have never seen any lack of effort from Corbin Carroll. So I think that as far as um, like the, you know, some players like won't have the motivation to you know once they get the money, they're not going to work as hard. He's not that type of player where you have to worry about it. It's yeah. this. I think this is likely to be maxed out to like the nine year or hundred. I was it like 154 after, after to win an everything. MVP, I think he can do it. Uh, you have to win an MVP okay, so, 29 to 31 to max it out. Most okay. Likely. So that's a little, that's a, I tough, said 134. Ask. That's a tough ask. Okay. So yeah, the 134 it seems very realistic. Um, I think the Diamondbacks are going to like this long term. I mean, he's like I said, it's, you really couldn't ask for more out of a, a center field prospect or, or outfield prospect. Like yeah, the crazy what thing more is he, want out of him? he's the prop is you can make an argument. He might be the best center fielder on the roster, but it's not the best, but because, but obviously he's not playing center field because there are plenty of center field guys on there that can't play a corner like Carol can. Although I think Thomas could play right field if he had to, but uh, I, Thomas, Thomas is, Thomas is better is suited really... for center. Yeah, I guess I was just gonna say is he's he is much more like the skill set that you want. Uh, I don't know; they're both a pretty good fit. Like I wouldn't mind either one in center field this year. And I think we we'll probably will see, uh, you know, both play time in center. Maybe not. You know, one will have more than the other. But I think that like we're we're this is gonna be one of the best outfields for the next uh, five years or whatever they're under contract. Like they, 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 they they're all under control for six more seasons. Yeah, Thomas um, McCarthy and Carroll, obviously, obviously Carroll's under team control I mean, for up only, to nine years. Yeah, so I mean, like that's that's some nice uh, foundation to build your team around. You have a good offensive and defensive player who is uh, a good fit in his like terms of his personality and makeup. He's well liked. He he's prepared for uh, you know. He's prepared for work every day. He's the, exactly the kind of player you want to sign to extension. So, I, I really don't think you. It's, it's surprising they signed him this early, but if they waited, uh, to the it cost twice season, as much. If they waited the, one more season. It cost. Yeah, it would cost twice as much if they if they wait another like a season to be sure because uh, he's all but a sure thing at this point. Yeah, and even with the contract extension, it's like. We weren't sure if what he did last year was considered a just a product of his speed, but he's turned it up a notch this spring training offensively. Like he's stealing bases with ease, taking advantage of the new rules, 
And then it uh, seems like once a day he's smashing a ball in the right center field gap for an extra base hit. Or legging out an infield grounder kind of thing. It's like, come to the ballpark, see Carroll do this. Amazing thing. I, I am always amazed by how fast he is. Every time I see Corbin Carroll bat and, you know, get on base, he's just, um, like, it's astounding how fast he is. Like, it's... Yeah. Uh, he legged out a ground ball to first base today. Faster. He legged out a ground ball to first base today, for and it drove in a run. That's... uh very very impressive like i really like i couldn't i couldn't be happier um i don't know i th- i'm sure you feel the same way about the extension michael right yeah, yeah you, you if there is someone with his kind of makeup you absolutely want to sign to an extension as soon as possible because you want yeah. that guy to be the face of your franchise for the way he uh, the way he conducts himself you want the rest of his teammates to follow that so obviously i think the moment they were sold on him is actually when he was injured Believe it or not, oh, when he went to Chase Field and took that. those reps. So not only does he do it for himself, but y'all, Jordan Lawler also. He convinced Jordan Lawler to also do the same, which comes as no surprise why Lawler had such a good year last year, too, and also why Lawler might be an extension candidate himself. Oh, I yeah, I didn't even get into that. Is that that he showed you every single thing you want when you see a guy come back from an injury? Like he was. Working on during the time he was injured, he encouraged another guy to, you know, like that's the kind of leadership that you love seeing on your team that you want to keep on your team. And then to just, he's, he, I, he's one of the, the fast. I mean, uh, short of just skipping the minors altogether, you really like. You don't normally see a guy like go three, like hit three levels. 142 games. Uh, over, yeah, over, yeah, very impressive. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, and I agree. Lawler uh, seeing that kind of dedication and like, like that's. You're cutting down a little bit. Your mic's missed. According to this thing, your mic's disconnected. All right, I heard something. Yeah, can you can hear me now? Yeah, I think we were talking about you were going. You were uh, segging into Jordan Lawler, Dick, in the same opportunity know. as Carol did. Yeah, yeah, I can. I see like the same time frame. Like next season, we'll probably we might see the same thing. So, uh, I don't. I don't. I. I think once you get to four or five players that are extended long term, that is too many. Uh, chat. Don't tell the Atlanta Braves that. You, I mean, you can't. They've been, they've extended their entire okay, team yeah. for eight years. <laughs> okay, eight years. so I don't think that Ken Kendrick is going to hand out that kind point. of money. Um, I, I would, lo- I would love to see them sign like a whole. I don't think that's a smart move. I don't. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it just depends on how, like, like I could see Steve Cohen doing it. You know, someone has the money to burn. Well, the Mets don't really have any extension candidates. They basically Sturber, signed their entire team in free agency. But yeah, the Braves. Yeah. Braves yeah. obviously. Well, I mean, the Braves have the advantage. like the Braves have the advantage of they were on TBS in in the. Um, like throughout, like when Ted Turner's ownership of uh, of the Braves. No, we're like not talking about back then. We're TV. talking about I, now. I'm just saying it has the awareness. People are more aware of the Braves in terms of market outside of the Atlanta area because of what Ted Turner did. Like, I know people who like will tell me they are Braves fans in random places because it was on TBS. That was a team that Man. they had access to. So they have a bigger fan base than backs, even though they're not that different of size of markets. Also, the fact their organization has been incredibly consistent for the last 30 years, too, yeah, helps. Absolutely. Yeah, they have this not had, have they, I, I don't, I don't think they've had a hundred loss season since like the 80s. I'm trying to like think, yeah, like the Braves have been remarkably yeah. consistent in terms of not being terrible. Yeah, they've had a couple down years, I think, earlier, last, in the last decade, but uh, yeah. they're back. And of course, they bounced back, won a World Series a couple of years ago, and they still and yeah, no. they're good enough that the Mets are definitely not the favorites to win the NL East. It's a toss. Oh yeah, I don't think that the Mets have already been kind of hit by the injury bug. Obviously, um, I don't think it's that big of a deal like the injuries that they're dealing with, but it's still enough Mets? that like the yeah I was in um well I don't think they, have, Mets, they have like they have a starter and a Diaz. Yeah, Diaz and who's like has the rib injury? I can't think of his name. Um, Nimmo. Uh, oh, no, and Nimmo has too. an ankle so, injury. Yeah, no, there's okay. So there's a position player. I know there's a. I'm trying to think of a. I I can't think of his name, but I know he had like a rib uh, surgery, and then uh, it's gonna be out for like I think like a month or two. I can't think can't think of his name. Um, All right, but so we yeah, know no, the break. Yeah, I I don't I I don't for a market like the Diamondbacks, I would start getting. Oh, one of their pitchers, Jose yeah. Quintana. Yeah, Quintana. I kind of think it was like I was thinking Santana, like Johan Santana. I know that's not you know, definitely not him. I would say um, Johan Santana was about fifteen years ago. Yeah, there it's close enough. Like the names kind of you know rhyme with each other. Um, but no, yeah, that's an so they've already been hit by the injury bugs. The Braves are. I've such a young, talented lineup. Like you really can't, and and great pitching staff too. So I think that they're they're actually the favorites for the NL East for sure. Yeah, I was say Atlanta's not Atlanta's not going away. Ever since they went on that crazy run at the end of the twenty twenty one, starting from basically June first of twenty twenty one, they probably had the most wins since. I think the we're team gonna see we're gonna see something beating. similar out of the Diamondbacks. Uh, like we're in a very similar position to the Braves right around before that time. Like we have just been stockpiling prospects. We've got, you know, we're in the first phase, which is like the signing Acuna uh, to, uh, to an extension. So now we're kind of, we've got the core, we've got a really nice core here with, with uh, our outfield. And then, you know, uh, Lawler should be up by probably September if he has a good season. And then Drew Jones is hitting. Like, and looks healthy. So I think, like, you really like those are the candidates I would want to want to sign for an extension. Um, Michael will be right back, but yeah. So, um, 
the candidates I would put for an extension would be uh, either Thomas or uh, maybe McCarthy. I don't McCarthy. I think is more likely to to sign a long term extension just from his like he doesn't have the prospect pedigree that Alec Thomas has. Um, and then obviously you want you want to sign Lawler. I don't know if Drew Jones would necessarily sign. I don't Scott know who Boris, his, his, two words. Yeah, Scott Boris. So I don't think he would. But if you can get him to sign an extension early, you do. Um, he's not a player that you the kind of prospect that you want to go year to year. I mean, his his father can already like tell you like tell him exactly how like negotiations and things are going to go and the way to maximize his his money potential. So I really don't think that. He's the, he's the one prospect I'd love to see signed, but I don't think he will be. Um, Sign Drew Jones to extension. You start with the Julio Rodriguez deal. Yeah. That's your starting point. I mean, that's, that's probably, uh, if you're signing Carol and then, you know, one of the, someone else in this current group that's up, you want to see like a yeah, Brandon, Thought or Jameson yes. or one of the starters sign. Like once you're getting to signing Drew Jones, that's like billion dollars locked up in an extension. I was gonna say once you uh, I'm gonna say it's definitely more difficult to sign pitchers to extension because there's an inherent extra risk. But if you wanted to look yeah. at some of the other players on the team, Moreno's an obvious fit because you're kind of oh yeah, Moreno. You're not very deep at catcher in the organization. Yeah, that's, well, you still that's, control uh, him for six years. Yeah, no, Moreno. That's actually that's the other. That's a great. I was trying. I knew I was forgetting someone in there. Yeah, Moreno is so hard to find good uh, production out of the catching position. Like that's he's a great candidate. Yeah. And then for pitchers, obviously, Fott, in my opinion, is the number one extension candidate because I feel pretty good about his long term. If he's healthy, he's a number. He's a two three guy. Yeah, I, I agree. It'll with give that. you like consistently Fott. 180, 200 innings. The uh, other pitchers thing- are too risky to sign to an extension. I would rather see them prove it first. That's exactly it. like Dre Jamison, uh, Ryan Nelson. Uh, those would be like those are two or two can uh, two candidates of the prospects that I'd sign. Uh, but they wouldn't. You don't want to sign to an extension like that because especially if they throw so hard or injury risks. Bot seems mm. like a guy who's going to stay healthy. Who's proven that he can do it. He's pretty much the 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 candidate for an extension. Out of I mean maybe Gallon, but I think Gallon or you know it's too late too with expensive. Gallen. Too late with him. So. Um, yeah, it'd pretty much be Braun and uh, Fott and then, you know, whoever is. Uh, and then maybe you look at Thomas, given his age possibility. If he's a league average hitter, he's a borderline all-star. That's how good his oh. de- defense and speed is. And the value yeah, is going to bring de- on that end. Yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah, Thomas would be like the more, you know, I think, I think, uh, like if you're looking like comparing between Thomas and McCarthy, like McCarthy, I would I just like I wouldn't sign Mark McCarthy to a long term yeah, extension. He's too just he's because too he's already kind of already he's 25. Yeah, he's getting he's I kind of reminds you're me already getting of, his best years of like almost Mitch Hanniger, where a guy like you know he's like can really hit and do all these. He doesn't have like he just just reminds me in terms of profile of a guy who is going to be. Uh, eventually a journeyman throughout his career. Like I don't like once he leaves the Diamondbacks, I, I see him playing for a lot of teams unless he like this has an absolute monster contract here. I was going to say Hanniger's only on his third team. Yeah, but he's, he's not like, he's like one of those, like he, he didn't stay healthy enough to play for Seattle yeah. enough where you really notice like, 
in terms of the amount of time he was actually healthy for Seattle, it was like maybe a season. Season. Yeah, he had one great year, and then it was injury plagued rest two seasons after that before he hit free agency. Still got a decent free agent deal. Yeah, I'm surprised that he he got the the money he did. But like, I don't know. It is kind of is the kind of uh, I don't see the Diamondbacks uh, extending McCarthy. But Thomas, yeah, he you're absolutely right. If he's a league average uh, hitter, bank on league average. Yeah, like that's I and I I was actually surprised that his uh, his poor uh, you know freshman year and you know his rookie season was not as. I was, I was unimpressed, obviously. He wasn't very good after he kind of like tapered off there midway, midway through the season. Yeah, with Thomas, there were obvious holes that I could notice from just watching him in double A that I knew weren't going to be exploited until the big leagues. For the most part, yeah, I think I've seen much better out of him this spring. Yeah, absolutely. It looks much more, his, his mechanics are much, his batting mechanics are much more controlled, and it looks like he's got a better idea of what he's doing. Uh, he looked good for Mexico in the World Baseball class. That's one player we didn't we didn't mention. Is he? Uh, he looked good. I was impressed. Uh, he seems like he's fixed. He fixed the holes in his swing, and he's seems like he's healthy. And uh, his defense is great as always. So keep in mind, even with the bad batting, he was still uh, most from a WAR perspective, he was still above an average player for the opportunities he got. Yeah, I mean, he's not he's not a bad player at all. And he has a track record of good hitting in the minor leagues. So, you know, that. so you've got to feel confident that bat's going to come around. Yeah, I think I am. I'm very confident. I'd be very, very surprised if he just ends up being a total bust at the major league. I mean, if he doesn't hit, um, at the very least, he's a, you know, a outfielder, you know, like I don't see why he can't have, even if he doesn't hit, he's still going to have a productive major league career. I would say he's more like a 3B in this current yeah. setup. Obviously, Carol McCarthy, you're one and two, and then he and Gurriel are like 3A, 3B. Yeah, that's 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 a, that's a good way to put it. Like, he's not – yeah, I mean, I think he'll earn the full-time uh, – like a full-time job eventually as there's still uh, just little questions. I, there's still some questions about the bat at the major league level, and he has some exploitable holes in his swing that yeah, he, like, hitting, his, I like Hitting lefties will, is pretty much the only thing that's really missing if you want to project long term. Yeah, I, and I think I think that he can figure out left-handed pitching eventually. So I'm not I'm not worried about that. Yeah, kind of like Carroll. The two crowning him in is kind of like the sort of secret success to him. Although Carroll's kind of closed off that inside half over the spring. I've noticed because he's turning on a lot more balls and he's plugging the hitting, wearing out the right fielder basically. But Thomas isn't really necessarily a big pull, isn't necessarily that kind of hitter. He's very good at taking pitches away and spraying at the center and left field. I think so. Yeah. But overall, yeah. The, the kind of bat that, you know, like you, I think he'll figure, he'll figure it out. Uh, it's not, he's not the kind of guy who's going to end up, you know, he's going to be a strict platoon hitter. Of course, though, if they never expose him to left-handed pitching, then like that's a, then he probably will never figure his... it out. But like, I think he'll get those at bats this season. Yeah. I'm going to look up his splits. I don't remember them being very good, but you have to throw, you have to take everything you yeah. put up last year with a big grain of salt. Well, yeah, Thomas he, he also splits. moved very quickly through the. 
So against lefties last year, hit 198. If this thing would let, stay on the page, 198 with a 471 OPS, 17 strikeouts, four walks. So though, like I said, give him the at bats. We'll know by we'll know we'll have a pretty good idea by the end of this year if he's going to hit lefties. Outfield is the best in how long? This is a question better served for 2026. Because <laughs> it's not even in its final form. Um, uh, oops. That's the wrong one. There we go. Sorry about that. I just had to communicate off camera. We'll say the Dynamax um, will probably outfield. boast the best I defensive think, oh. outfield this year. Oh, apps. I think they're going to have the best outfield in terms of like I, if if the, I certainly the best outfield in the NL, and and defensively in the major leagues. Um, bat wise, I, there might be some better production, but in terms of WAR and like overall production, I think they easily will get it this year. Yeah, I would project between the, uh, if we want to project just between the three big one big names, obviously Carol Thomas McCarthy. I'm projecting eight WAR between the three of them. Four for Carroll, two each for McCarthy and Thomas. I think you're lowballing it, honestly. I I think that's uh, that's a pretty. I would say conservative estimate. The projection yeah, probably assumes they're not. I, gonna, they get more playing time. Obviously, that's going to go up. I mean, I think mm. McCarthy's uh, defense obviously can be better. Yeah, that's, that's one area. He's, he's a, that's one area improvement for him. He's definitely. He's only bad, really, in comparison to how good Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas are. Um, I don't think he's that bad of an, uh, an outfielder. And I think if he gets the reps, he can at least be like, I mean, he's got a pretty good arm for one. Um, actually, and, he has the know, weakest great... arm of the three. If you look at StatCast, believe it or not. Actually, you know that that's... Yeah, there, right StatCast proves thinking, a lot of... I was seeing his sprint speed. Is He's much fa- He's like one of the fastest. We did definitely have one of the fastest outfields in the major leagues if you look at their sprint speed. Oh, um, yeah. Between... Yeah, he does. Carroll 100th percentile, McCarthy 99th, and I think Thomas was 95th. It's I forget like, name enough uh, for those three guys. Carroll's the top. fastest, and I I think I forget if it's Thomas or McCarthy. They're like the third or fourth fastest, something like that. And McCarthy's definitely faster last season. Yeah, so yeah, I think you know it's yeah Carroll, McCarthy, and then Thomas is still pretty fast. So, um, yeah, like that. What hurts McCarthy is obviously, I think it, what hurts McCarthy a lot is weak jump. Doesn't, yeah, and obviously, he doesn't everyone do. looks slow on jump compared to Dalton Varsho, who was the main right fielder last year. But McCarthy will be playing one position most of the year, yeah, so I think, I think he'll get better reps. Obviously, no, there's no, uh, there's no outfield jump rating for Carroll. I imagine it's probably close to average. And Thomas actually has below average jump. But what makes Thomas so interesting in center field is he has really good recovery speed and he make he makes difficult catches look easy. Not like diving for it, but he he runs under it with ease. Kind of you call it like a that's why I say he glides in center field. Of course, uh, I don't know if anyone watched yesterday's game against Chicago, but there was one catch I thought was a base hit off the bat. Thomas caught that easily. 
So when Wes gets back, we'll talk about another fast outfielder. Another fast outfielder that we talked about in a previous episode. But we have to broach this topic, obviously, because mock drafts are always an interesting source of content. It works. For, it it's clickbait, but it always but it does work. It's a very effective clickbait material. So when Wes gets on, we'll reveal the pick. Unless you have a Baseball America subscription, then you could just leak it. <laughs> Wes and I already know who it is. But it's going to be a fun one. I'll give you a hint. College outfielder. Similar uh, similar tool profile to Corbin Carroll. A little bit taller. a shortstop he'd be probably a top five pick give me them stats huh yeah he's off to this so yeah well the next segment will be dedicated to talking about that player Check walk rates. Okay. So typically when I, so while we're waiting, I'll fill up some time and I'll tell you what I think about college bats. So typically when you're looking for college bats in the first round, especially in the top half of the first round, you want guys that walk more than they strike out for one. And then you want guys with three carrying tools, potentially one of them being obviously the hit tool. The hit tool creates a very high floor for a prospect. And you want an elite tool. One of the five of the five tools to be stand out in some way, shape, or form, and it and the player has to obviously know how to use it already. So this player that has uh, not only a good hit tool, speed tools, top of the scale, but also, um, I think there's potential for a strong defensive tool as well. It was also a player that I got a chance. I guess I don't remember him as much coming out of high school. I actually got a chance to see him up in the uh, perfect game showcase in 2019, but I wasn't focusing on him. But I remember because he had such a long, long and interesting name on there. But yeah, interestingly enough, Dimebacks did draft two players from that showcase that were prominently. It was Liam Norris and AJ Vukovic out of high school in 2020. But often the case with college guys, they don't, their stock doesn't necessarily go way up, especially at the top end. They're first round guys coming out of high school. Their first round guy, most first round guys out of college are day one guys coming out of high school. They're just not either signable or teams or the risk profile is too strong. And in the three years they've had in college, the risk is considerably less. But if you I'm just going to preview the draft this year, but obviously there's a lot of college talent in this year's draft. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised that the first five players off the board are all college guys. College guys. Cruz is, Cruz is going to be battling Skeens for the number one spot. Actually, pretty sure I butchered the guy's name, but that LSU ace that throws 102 
all the either him or crew either him or Cruz, both from LSU, obviously. But uh those will be the first two names off the board in my opinion. And then you got Dollander from Tennessee, Langford from Florida is another one one can all four of these guys are would be one one in most years, in my opinion. But then you got some interesting guys. Obviously, Max Cl- uh, from the high school guy, Max Clark's going to be the first high school bat, but Walker Jenkins won't be too far behind. And then Jacob Gonzalez. I like Gonzalez as a freshman, but after his sophomore year, I'm like, there's no way the D-backs are going to get this guy. They would have had to tank the second half, but we I don't support tanking in any way, shape, or form. It's like The difference between a Jacob Wilson and a Jacob Gonzalez isn't that strong. You still have to worry about eight other players on the field. And this game is mostly decided by pitching. The edge that you have in pitching is the difference. Even though, ironically enough, the edge in the, even though I would say hitting prospects are a lot less risky than pitching. But I'm looking at but looking at this year's draft, there's a lot of good bats at the top of the draft class. Obviously, then you look at the second tier of bats from the college ranks. You got Bradfield from Vanderbilt, Jacob Wilson from Grand Canyon. Unfortunately, it's like, unfortunately, I missed an opportunity to go see um, Wilson when he was at Salt River in February last month. Classic. That also featured Dollander and uh, University of Arizona. I feel like Dimebacks are kind of at the edge of the second tier of players. Number 12 picks kind of like at the second edge of the tier thing. So if they want to go with like if they want to keep the MO from past years, Aiden Miller seems like an obvious fit. Although you're dealing with a corner infielder, right, right bat, so that's a risky profile perhaps for 112, especially. Risky profile necessarily because if he doesn't hit right-handed pitching, then you got a platoon guy that's only 200 plate appearances. Compared to uh, like Mitchell Catcher, I think that's probably going to end up moving off the position and. Then Ryan Taylor, right hand, a left-handed hitting out infielder. I could either start at second or third. So if the Dimebacks decided, uh, so in a situation where Wilson, uh, Wilson, Taylor, and Miller were off the board at eleven, then you ask yourself. Um, Reference in the Baseball America mock. I'm going to preview that one. So, in that mock draft. So, in that mock draft, Baseball America, and they're doing it between uh, their, right, uh, their main prospect writer, uh, draft writer, Carlos Colazzo, and then some... Scout in a high, some high-ranking scout in a well-respected organization. I don't know which organization. Not my business. It's not that important. I'll take a look at the mock draft real quick because I know I have it somewhere. Trying to make sure that I this is ready to go while we're going through the topic. But obviously, so just recapping this mock draft. Cruz goes one, Langford two to Washington. Skin, um, skins three to Detroit. 
Dollander four to Rangers. And the question isn't who's top four. It might be just order. Max Clark, five. Jacob Gonzalez, six. Walker Jenkins, seven. Jacob Wilson, eight to Kansas City. Braden Taylor, nine to Colorado. Hurston Waldrop to the Marlins, 10th overall. And then Aiden Miller to the Angels with the 11th pick. So in that situation, Diamondbacks are choosing between Enrique Bradfield, the outfielder from uh, Vanderbilt, who... Outfielder from Vanderbilt, plus uh, top-of-the-scale speed, good hit tool, obviously. My opinion would be, on that mock draft, the last player of the second tier. They could possibly look at Blake Mitchell, obviously a high school bat, left-handed hitter. Left-handed hitter, decent chance of sticking behind the plate, although if he doesn't end up to stay behind the plate, he's uh, probably either... He's probably a right fielder, although I don't know with a 35-run tool you can play in the out, in this outfield. You can stick behind and if he sticks behind the plate with a plus plus arm, it's like there's your catcher situation. You could possibly go that route. You take and then Bradfield would be like a slot pick. Slot pick Mitchell probably also slot full slot signing. Or they could possibly go under slot with the pick. Although I don't necessarily like the idea of under slot. How fast is too fast? Well, we're gonna find out with Carol, but obviously. We hinted at it in the last episode, but a possible outfield of Yeah, I would definitely there was definitely some power gains with Bradfield last year with uh Vanderbilt. He had a look at his numbers. He had a four ninety eight slugging percentage on a three 17 batting average, 415 on base. If you could possibly get decent, the hit tool to run with uh, as many walks as strikeouts. He's had more walks than strikeouts his entire college career. Anything. So, it be interesting to see, like I said. I don't know what his final weight will be, but I don't think Bradfield's has got the same body type as Carroll to add a little bit more muscle. Carroll's no longer that slender guy the D-backs drafted out of high school. And then 108 out of 118 stolen. He had a perfect season stealing bases as a sophomore, Bradfield. But yeah, Bradfield develops power. It's not a question of everyday player. It's a question of MVP. Give him the $100 million, $111 million extension. So uh, that's just one of those thing, things. So yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna reveal the pick that they made. So it's going to be... So they picked. So the scout picked Bradfield with the number twelve pick. Obviously, it's a type that Dimebacks have drafted in the past. And you asked the question of how many of the same guys do they need to draft? Obviously, you got Thomas, Dalton, Varsho. Although Varsho didn't have the same speed rating as the rest of them, but effectively had good had similar speed in my opinion due to his quick twitch and his uh, quick twitch uh, thing, but. Then, obviously, the pinnacle, Corbin Carroll. The, well, like I said, you, there's nothing wrong with drafting a rangy outfield when you have to deal with uh, 81 games at Chase Field and then another six or seven at Coors. It, the entire division has big ballparks. 
And Bradfield's arrival time isn't necessarily a problem because McCarthy's going to be in his 30s. He's going to be in his 30s when Bradfield hits the big leagues. He'll be 30 years old or so. Actually, Bradfield has a similar track record to Carroll. He could be there in two. And you'd have Jones coming up almost at the same time. So it'd be interesting to see a Carroll, Tom, uh, Carroll, Bradfield, and uh, Jones center uh, outfield. Who plays center? Then the question is, is it necessarily the best value pick? Because, again, you're drafting another outfielder D-backs to have no shortage of outfielders in the next three or four years to worry about. And you can draft. It's just a timing issue. That's the same reason why I think Crow Armstrong wasn't picked by the Dimebacks two years ago. They already had, well, all those guys I mentioned. So then, if they were to go, I'm going to concede this. If the mock draft started out the way it did, D-backs were in the same situation. I don't think they take Bradfield. In fact, I would say they either... They either go uh, college bat. I'm going to pull up college bat. I don't think they take Johanny Morales. Too much swing and miss. Like neither. Because Blake Mitchell is a very risky pick. If you're looking. Blake Mitchell is a very risky pick. If Unless you think he's going to stick behind the plate. And then the high school bats take a lot longer to develop. Unless they're Corbin Carroll. And already have an advanced feel for the strikes. So even compared to college guys. That was something I noticed with Carroll. In the 2020 thing. He's like yeah. Yeah, with like 50 minor league games under his belt, he had the eye discipline of a major a major league veteran. Although the exit velocity wasn't quite there yet before last season. I would say he was closer to his draft weight to 165 in that 2020 year. But what D-backs could do in that situation is maybe take an under-slot guy from a college bat, take a sure profile for less. Gamble on uh, Blake Mitchell or... They could go for Rhett Louder. It's an obvious situation. He's not Louder's an interesting guy. He doesn't really quite fit their uh, profile for arms. Uh, the first round of the draft, but um, almost a surefire big league starter. There'll be there's a lot of ways they could go with that pick, but Bradfield definitely is a player with who, which whose tool sets would fit what the organization likes. Maybe that's a situation where maybe let's just go BPA, best player available, BPA, and just worry about fit later. Because at the end of the day, you can trade. T- at the end of the day, you can trade talent for talent, although necessarily you don't want to trade. You want to trade. You don't want to trade guys that you know will succeed kind of thing in, your, in the situation you're putting them in. All right, since I mentioned big league starters, we're going to transition over to the starting rotation. So we're down to two players. The two players we all thought we'd come down to the whole entire time. Dre Jameson versus Ryan Nelson. So I, obviously this wave of arms coming up through the system. You're going to have Jameson or Nelson obviously starting now. Fought. Nel- and whoever loses this battle is going to be contributing a lot to the team, I think, this year. They're going to need eight starters. And I'm not sure what they're going to do with Henry. They... Tommy Henry could also work out of the bullpen this year. They haven't closed the door on that. They did. Lavelle kind of did close the door on that when talking about Fott, Nelson, and Jamison. 
Although I wouldn't necessarily say they have completely closed the door on her. But after that, after these guys, you got three guys that could come up this year. You got Sikoni. Sikoni, um, Walston, and Jarvis. In fact, I think Jarvis is going to surprise some people this year. He's working on... So there was a piece that Nick Bacora wrote out that talks about how he was working in the pitching lab to get an extension. There's possibly he might be able to add another foot of extension, which will allow his fastball to play. And I did the math. It's like another two miles an hour faster. So if he has six, he was coming in at about 5.2 feet per extension, which from a perceived velocity standpoint averages right around three miles an hour less than the release speed. So Jarvis throwing 95 miles an hour, that plays at 92. And of course, in today's league, everyone can hit velocity. So 92 isn't necessarily special. Whereas adding an extra foot of extension now, it's 94 miles an hour, which is right around the big major league average. So that might be... Make him more playable, and I think Jarvis is more in the middle of a rotation guy if he has a good year. Because if he can, if his fastball is good enough, he's got enough secondary pitches to make it work, make the whole thing work. He's got plus slider, plus changeup. Add that to above average fastball, he's got a starter profile. And then Sacconi, obviously, I think it'd be interesting to see how they do. Like I said, there's a lot of bottom of the rotation. Most of the second wave guys, I guess, that are coming up later this year, I consider them more bottom of the rotation guys. Not necessarily upside guys, but guys you need to get through a season. But you can see, uh, but I would say in three years, starting five will probably be Jameson, Nelson, Fott, Walston, and Jarvis. That's my prediction for the starting five, five, three years from now. But in the case of now, I would say Ryan Nelson might have the slight edge on Jameson. I don't know. Obviously, based on how the two threw yesterday, Jameson had a really bad first inning. And then Nelson kind of just petered out in the fifth inning after looking pretty solid for four. It was definitely, uh, if there was anything to be cited, it was a side long before yesterday. We'll find out in the next five days or so who's going to win that competition. Just pay attention to who's starting on Tuesday. I'm going to give you a pretty good idea. At work, a pretty good idea of who they might consider. I would say Nelson has a slight edge based on 2022 performance being a little bit better. Whereas uh, you look at the two starting pitchers, obviously, I think Nelson had better secondary results in terms of uh, ex-Woba, obviously better fastball results, but I think Jameson has better secondaries. Better secondaries, definitely the better slider of the two pitchers, but Nelson has the better fastball for sure. Those are the two things you can take to the bank. So it's a matter of, uh, for Jamison, it's like, don't throw your fastball in the hittable areas, your four-seamer in the hittable areas. I think if he relies more on his sinker, I think it makes his repertoire a little bit more well-rounded. Whereas for Nelson, it's the ability to command the breaking ball for strikes. Doesn't really, and then making improvements with this curveball and changeup. It'll be interesting. So what I saw against the Rockies for Jamison, Jamison got hit around quite a bit. His fastball got lit. His fastball got hit around the yard a little bit, and the Rockies got some really good swings against it. But it didn't have very good swings against the slider when he was throwing it to the arms to the side of the plate. Ask Chris Bryant how that went. But uh, 
I would say Nelson had the better start against the Rockies on the 17th. I actually saw both of them in person. James uh, Nelson against the Rockies was able to land his slider for called strikes, which allowed his fastball to play better. In my opinion, he was blowing fastballs by guys. That, that was the only time this spring I think Nelson has looked like his 2022 self. So I would say I would say Nelson's slightly ahead going in, but we'll see what happens. I could see both of them winning it. Although I've been I guess I guess I haven't seen Jameson's good starts. So I have a little bit of recency bias. Alright, and then one more prospect that might hit the bullpen this year, Carlos Vargas. Based on how the bullpen looks right now, today's cuts. Carlos Vargas has a pretty good shot at making the opening day bullpen. I think of the uh, pow three power arms in the system, Martinez, Frias, and uh, Vargas, all three of them can hit 100 miles an hour when they throw up, at, have a top speed of 100 miles an hour. But, uh, in Vargas's case, he threw the most strikes of the three. Martinez kind of was hit or miss. In the few outings that he had before being one of the first roster cuts, and then Frias was looking pretty decent until yet. Yesterday, he kind of just had one of those outings. Had one of those outings yesterday where he just couldn't find the strike zone. Came in with a runner on base, gave up a hit, soft hit, and then uh, walked. Walked the next three hitters, including two with the bases loaded. And then gave up another hit, and it was done at that point. Best lefty behind Walson, I would say. Lynn is the best lefty, but he's a year, he's three years away. Unless you want to count Tommy Henry as a prospect. Depends. He de you can, depends on your definition of prospect. You could either go, okay, he doesn't have a full year in the big leagues, so he could be considered, still considered a prospect. Or if you go by the rookie definition, Henry is not a prospect. So we're going with, if we go with the rookie definition of prospect, then uh, I would say Lynn's the next guy. Going back to the bullpen, obviously, I would say Vargas is all but sure, almost all but assured to rotate um, a spot in the bullpen. Obviously, You'd like to have a guy that comes in and throws a hundred with a nasty slider. That's what he brings. I would say that the uh, I'm not going to comment beyond this. I'm not going to say this with certainty, but if you ask me who would get the final four bullpen spots after McGuff, Castro, Chafin, and Mantiply, I would say a good chance that. Your final four, Ginkle, Vargas, Sulcer, and they might go with a long man because the rotation is not necessarily in great shape entering the year. I would say the first two weeks they probably would be better suited to have a long man, but uh, see what it is. Don't necessarily want to burn your good bullpen guys too early. Saw that happen last year with Mantiply. Although the question was, is it regression or is it burned out? I would say, yeah, your final four of Vargas, Sulcer, um, Ginkle, and then either they choose a long man or they might go with Ryan Hendricks. Although I don't get the sense that Hendricks is going to make the roster. I don't know. We'll find the roster. I think they'll decide on the roster on the weekend and announce it after Tuesday's exhibition game against Cleveland. Let's see what happens. So with that in mind, uh, 
the next the next uh let's see let's just say the next 100 hours we'll know what the roster's within uh the next three or four days we'll know what the roster will look like you can almost guess at this point but you can almost guess based on the who's they made in the last i guess you can say last 24 hours kind of gives a snapshot of what they might and might not do so when that happens, you just head over to the inside the Dimebacks, and I'll plug in the uh, I'll plug in the uh, link, URL for both inside the Dimebacks and AC Snake Pit. I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't plug. If I didn't plug a Snake Pit as well, that's where I started before this opportunity came up, and then West still writes there. So that's for inside the Dimebacks URL link here. And then for AZ Snake Pit, it's pretty obvious. It's just AZ Snake. Support support West going to the Snake Pit. I actually do frequent the Snake Pit quite a bit. Because the game day threads and I like to opine on things. Have to be obviously have to be careful what you say officially. And make sure to check us both out, both this one. Easy Snake Pit's more of a community kind of thing. We're more of a group chat kind of situation, hangout place. Or as you look at uh, Inside Dynamics, we're more covering the news. Cut, cut, I guess you can say like more like a journal, journalistic sort of out, outing. As opposed to more of a community website like the Snake Pit is. Where uh, in Inside Dynamics, both Jack and I cover the team. Going to the, uh, covering the team off from inside the walls and also covering farm system and all the aspects of the team. Anyway, that's pretty much it. Thanks everyone for watching tonight. We get some. We'll have some clips up. And we'll have the clips uploaded for um for you to watch later, but. We said the season's fast approaching, and we'll get we'll have a chance for, and we'll hopefully have a chance for us to uh, talk about the opening day roster whenever that whenever that drops next week. That'll be the focus of next episode. Opening day roster. Maybe we'll also find out some prospect assignments, like where does Drew Jones start? Fun fact: today, Drew Jones faced Shohei Otani. And got a base hit, rolled the ball through the right side of the infield. That was a nice that was a nice moment, obviously. So anyway, until then, make sure to hit the subscribe button, leave a like on the video. Comment down below any ideas you want to have for any topics that you think we should discuss in a future episode.